You are watching Christ's Commission Fellowship. Changing lives for eternity. We are beginning our prayer and fasting week. Well, we're launching it today and uh, starting tomorrow night. And I'll, I'll be saying that in just a while. We'll be having our evening uh, collective, you know, the whole body of Christ coming together for a time of prayer and fasting. Now, in this booklet, you will find very helpful guidelines about how to begin a fast, how to end your fast so that you don't begin or end abruptly. If this is your first time to go into a time of uh, especially fasting, it will be very helpful for you to read through this booklet uh, what kind of fast will you go into. Is it a, a completely liquid fast? Will you fast one meal a day, etc.? So please uh, read through this booklet very carefully. And please make use of the devotions as well as you have extended time with the Lord during prayer and fasting. But I think the most important thing we need to discuss first is why are we doing what we're doing? Again, for those of you who may be new to this, and even if we're old hands at it, it's always good to be reminded that this is not just a routine that the church goes through. There are reasons why we must pray and fast. And the first reason is this. The first reason is Jesus fasted. It says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. It's, it's just one occasion, we're sure, during which Jesus fasted. And it doesn't always have to be 40 days and 40 nights, but we know that our Lord and Savior was a model of fasting and prayer. In addition, we know the early church fasted. It said, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, that's uh, Saul and Barnabas, they sent them away. So the early church, the first century church in the book of Acts, was an example, a model of prayer and fasting. And our Lord and Savior, having modeled fasting Himself, expects us to fast. And He said here, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as hypocrites do. The word whenever implies that it's not just a one-time thing. It's something that we are to do on a regular basis. And again, He says, when you fast, not if, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, during a time of prayer and fasting, do you know there's just a one-letter difference between the word fasting and feasting? They're actually one and the same thing. Fasting is a time of feasting in the glorious presence of God. So let's be joyful that we have this special extended time with our Lord. And of course, we learn to focus and humbly depend on God. Daniel said, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication. When you and I set aside our normal food intake or even social media or Netflix or iFlix or whatever flicks you're into, and we are able to focus on God, and it says, I sought Him with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. It means it's a time of, of repentance, a time of humility before the presence of God. And then we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Again, in the book of Acts, it says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. And this reminds us that a time of prayer and fasting, and even prayer in general, is not just about talking to God. It's allowing God to speak to us. And that's one spiritual discipline many of us need to learn, including myself. A time of solitude, quietness, and listening for the voice and the Spirit of God. And finally, we need personal and national and I would say even global revival. Is this true? Do you need a revival in your spirit? 
I know I need that every so often. And the Lord said, My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Do you believe this land needs the healing of God? Absolutely. So those are the reasons why we are doing what we're doing. And again, as I said earlier, 7.30 in the evening, starting tomorrow night, Monday night, up to Friday night, we will meet here for a collective time of prayer and fasting. Uh, just bring your small group here. Don't bother meeting elsewhere. Don't impose on people's schedules unnecessarily. Just be here, all of us, for a time of prayer and fasting. And on Saturday, we have something uh, special that you may be interested in. We will again have the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We will have that in the morning of Saturday, January 13, 8.30 to 11.30 at the multi-purpose hall downstairs. And then in the evening during the Saturday night worship. By the way, do you know that we have a Saturday night worship service? Okay, some of you know that. Now, please, uh, if you have friends, family members who prefer to come to a Saturday night, please make sure you tell them about the Saturday night service and bring them over, even beginning this Saturday. Because this Saturday, it will be, yes, a worship service, but also a time of prayer and fasting and for the persecuted church. Okay, so that is uh, laying the groundwork for our prayer and fasting week this week. So we're starting a very short series called Prayer Profiles. And the first profile we're going to look at is Epaphras. What can we learn from this man who is mentioned in the Bible not too many times, but certainly his life is so rich when it comes to being a model, an example of prayer. Just before we dig into the little we know about his life, I want to go back to our mission. Can we recite our mission with a conviction all together? Let's go. To honor God and to make Christ-committed followers who will make Christ-committed followers. Now, we're going to also recite our vision. Vision is what we believe God will make happen as a result of the fulfillment of our mission. So let's also recite our vision together. Let's go. To see a movement of millions of committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ meeting in small groups, and transforming lives, families, communities, and nations for the glory of God. That is our God-given mission and our God-given vision. Now, you and I can read these things and recite them until we're blue in the face, but you and I need to be convinced as to the realities behind our mission and our vision. Let me just talk about a few realities as we lay the groundwork for the need to pray and fast. First, let's talk about the reality of the need, the reality of the enormous task that the gospel is needed all over this world. Here is our neighborhood, planet Earth, and there is the Philippines right there. Somewhere on this planet is what you call the 1040 window, with nations from North Africa, Middle East, and much of Asia where two-thirds of the world's population lives, many of them in poverty and disease. But the worst part about this 1040 window is that they hardly have any access to the gospel. Most people don't know about Jesus. They don't know about how to have a relationship with Him. Now, outside of the 1040 window, say in the Western uh, societies, more affluent, more advanced, they need the gospel just as much. And here in the Philippines, for example, right here where we live, 
We know that for every one follower of Jesus, there are maybe nine or ten people in our immediate surroundings who don't know Jesus in a personal way. So there is a tremendous need for the gospel. Even right across where we live, we have people who don't know Jesus. And I'm so blessed, you know, one of our members was sharing the gospel with a grab driver. And so she took out our booklet and she started to share the, the gospel with him. And she says, ma'am, somebody shared that already with me. What is it with you people from CCF? Do you have a quota? <laughs> well, folks, you and I have only one quota. Do you know what that is? To please God, to honor God. That is our quota. Amen? So let's keep sharing because people need the gospel. So you and I need to understand the reality of the task, the need for the gospel. We also need to understand the reality of the battle, the war, the spiritual battle. We are reminded by Paul in Ephesians. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's why there should be no civil war, only an infinity war, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly Places. It's an unseen war to a great extent, but it's a very real war. And you and I can see the effects of it. The reality of warfare. What are we up against in this world? Uh, materialism, the accumulation of money and things and gadgets and experiences, right? Or the mindset or the worldview that, uh, you know, what, whatever feels good to you, you go ahead and do it. And that leads to moral decline and HIV and gender confusion and all of these things. And then there's the mindset of what they call tolerance, right? Now, tolerance today is not just you need to understand my lifestyle. It's now you need to accept it. As a matter of fact, you need to support it because if you don't, you are intolerant. And you know, all of this goes back to the original temptation of Satan in the Garden of Eden, which was... You can be your own God. You can be God in your life. And you can determine what is right and what is wrong. We see the reality of warfare most in the family. And if Satan can break down the communication and the closeness that God designed for the family, then there will, it will severely impair the passing on of godly values to the next generations. For example, that's why now we have uh, single-parent homes, absentee, absentee parents, and even where families are complete, if each of them is in front of a gadget, what kind of communication will they have? And what kind of way of passing on godly, godly values could they ever have in that family? We also need to understand the reality of our own weakness as God's people. In the church, we do have our own struggles. Well, throughout the world, for example, you have 215 million Christians who are in danger of very serious persecution. We're not just talking about people making fun of them. We're talking about danger to their lives, their property, their families. And then there's, of course, the issue of lukewarmness and shallow commitment to Christ and conformity to the world where people can't discern between the Christian and the person who's not a follower of Jesus. And then there's the issue of so many Christians not even knowing why they believe what they believe. So when they're challenged, it's like, uh, maybe I'm wrong, and they begin to doubt. So folks, these are the realities that you and I are up against. Losing the next generation 
is also a major challenge that we need to fight, a battle we need to fight in prayer and fasting. For example, in South Korea, once upon a time, a bastion of biblical Christianity, now 56% of their adult population say, we don't believe in anything. We are non-religious people. So folks, is the battle real? This eternity war, is it real? It is. And so our message today is this. We need to fight our battles with prayer. And that's why we're going into a week of prayer and fasting. And we, are, we want to, more than that, we want to develop a, a lifestyle, a culture of prayer. And we're going to learn from our dear friend, what's his name again? Epaphras. Okay. So this will be our verse for the whole message. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Shall we read this together? Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. As we said last week, Epaphras was apparently the founding pastor. You know, he's, he shared the gospel in Colossae, started a small group. It, it became a church, and even in Laodicea and Hierapolis, and he was probably like a bishop. But he was best known as a man of prayer. So what can we learn from this verse, from the example of our dear friend Epaphras? The first thing we learn is that you and I need to pray steadfastly, that is consistent, persistent. It says Epaphras always, always praying. It means you and I should learn to keep on praying and never to give up. Question, have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like, what, what am I praying for? Nothing's happening. I mean, it's been so long. Now, for some people, two weeks is a long time. For some people, they've been praying for 20 years for something. Should we keep on praying? Yes. You know, Jesus told a story in Luke 18. It says, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You know, I, we, we are prone to losing heart. Saying, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And then he says, well, that's the judge over there. Then he says, there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. See, here's the widow, and there's the judge. Reason number one why you and I should keep on praying is because of who we are. You and I are just like this poor widow, whether we like to admit it or not. It's the attitude that you and I should have. You see, widows, women, but especially widows, they, they were at such a great disadvantage during the time of Jesus. And one writer said these uh, itinerant judges, you know, they go from place to place and everybody wants their attention. And most likely, people would have, their, would have to bribe their way to get the judge's time. And the widow would have no money. She would have no connections. The only thing she had was her audacity to keep coming back to this judge and say, you need to help me. I'm a helpless person. I need help. And you know what? For people who are, did you notice something? When people are needy and helpless, they have no problem humbling themselves because they have nothing to lose. And so, folks, you and I need to humble ourselves before God because we are helpless and needy apart from Him. We need to approach God with an audacity that says, Lord, 
I am nothing without you. I need your help. And then it says, for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. First reason why we should keep on praying is because of who we are. The second reason we should keep on praying is because of who God is. God is the total opposite of this judge. He will not answer our prayer just to get rid of you or me. God loves it. He is honored when His children come to Him and gather in His presence and say, Lord, You are our Lord. We worship You. We need You. Our life is worth nothing apart from You. We need Your help. I cannot do this on my own. Do you believe that attitude honors God? Absolutely. He's our Father. We are His children. That's the greatest thing about God, our all-powerful, loving, omniscient, omnipotent Father. There's another story we can learn from, and that's from this man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a blind man sitting on the road in Jericho. And it says, when Jesus came, it says, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Don't bother the boss. And, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Question. What in our lives tell us that it's better, we're better off just being quiet? Is it our own doubts? Is it people who tell us, you know, that case you're praying about, that person, that situation, that's hopeless? Or maybe it's statistics that tell us to stop praying. The chances that that will happen are one in a million. Well, folks, I remember one instance in my wife's and my life when the Lord taught us to pray steadfastly when she was going through her cancer journey. Yes, it is true. We were surrendered to the will of God, and we said, Lord, whatever it is, life or death, healing or not, we are in your hands. She is in your hands. But I could not help the cry of my heart. So that every morning, while it was still dark, at our bedside, I would be on my knees. And my prayer was very simple. My prayer was, Lord, don't take my wife away please. That was my prayer. Every morning, that's all I could say. But God knew the cry of my heart. And in addition, I would put down all these specific prayer requests, and there was no Viber or WhatsApp or whatever it is. And so I typed them out on paper, and I'd cut them in, you know, in handy pieces, and I'd distribute these prayer requests to whoever was willing to pray. Most of you know the outcome, but to me, that's really secondary. The whole idea, the whole subject now is to pray steadfastly. Are we together so far? The next thing we learn from Epaphras is to pray strenuously. Now you say, I've never heard that word associated with the subject of prayer. Hang on. Let's go back to our verse. Epaphras, always what? Laboring earnestly in his prayers laboring earnestly. You know, admittedly, our prayer life, including mine, sometimes it's, what, anemic? Sometimes it's mechanical? Sometimes we just breeze through a prayer? 
because we're on our way to something or we just want to get it over with and tell the person, oh, I prayed for you, yeah. Well, this word, laboring, the original word is agonizomai, where we get the word agony. And you remember what we used to say before, when we work, we work. Remember that? When we work, we work. But when we, when we pray, God works. That's an expression of our dependence on Him. And we just need to pray because we want to see God work. Now, other translations will say, uh, Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you. E.M. Bounds was a man of great prayer. He would spend hours in prayer. He wrote 11 books in his lifetime. Nine of them were about prayer. And he said, prayer in its highest form and grandest success assumes the attitude of wrestler with God. What in the world does that mean? Let me tell you what it does not mean. It doesn't mean that we are wrestling with, with God and the objective is to pin Him down and win and make Him submit to our will. That's not the meaning. But many times, that is our intention if we're not careful. For us to understand a bit more about wrestling with God, we need to go back to the Old Testament and look at an actual uh, instance of that. Genesis chapter 32. The background of this short passage is that Jacob, remember him, the deceiver, the supplanter, uh, he had just finished running away from his oppressive father-in-law, so that's kind of behind him now. But now he realizes he's about to face his brother Esau, a brother that he cheated years ago, a brother who said years ago, I will kill my brother Jacob. And he learned that Esau was coming his way, and he had 400 men with him. So understandably, Jacob was beside himself. He had no peace. He could not sleep. And that's where we read this passage. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he had saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, you can read the rest of the account, but this here is the point. It is not about pinning God down and making Him submit to our will. Jacob was in a profoundly helpless situation. And I think for the first time in his life, he was actually telling God, Lord, I cannot cheat my way out of this. I have done it so many times, but now I'm stuck. I need you, Lord. I need you. I cannot do this alone. I will not let you go until or unless you bless me. It's like Moses saying, Lord, if your presence will not go with us, you remember? If your presence will not go with us, we don't want to leave this place. Your presence, God, is the most important thing in my life. Now I see it. Now I realize it. Lord, just be with me and things will be okay. You see, folks, there's, a, there's an irony in the Christian life. When we surrender, we win. When we surrender, that's when we win. 
pray strenuously. I, the story was shared with me, uh, to me by our missions pastor just a couple of days ago. And do you remember last week we talked about that big country in South Asia where all of the house churches, thousands of house churches are? Well, this story happened there. Our missions pastor was training a group of believers in something that should be familiar to many of us. It's called pray, care, share. Okay, you remember? Pray, care, share. So he was training these uh, men, these people from that large country in South Asia how to do pray, care, share. And one of their assignments, uh, their practicum, if you will, was they were to walk around the area, you know, the city, the, the place where they were having their training, and they were to do what they call a prayer walk. Okay, a prayer walk. Because they believed it all begins and ends and is sustained by prayer. So just do a prayer walk, he says. Go, go around as far as you can, you know, wherever around here. And in that place, you know, there, there were so many temples, uh, obviously, you know, unbiblical belief systems and idols and all of these things all over the place. So when these people did their prayer walk, they could really feel the spiritual oppression, the spiritual opposition. And it was, well, it was scary, I guess. It was discouraging. And so when they came back, they related all of these things that they had felt. And he said, well, that's the reality of the battle. So we will do it again. We'll have another prayer walk. So they do another prayer walk. And then one of these men, you know, he's walking, he's praying, Lord, uh, give me an opportunity to talk about you in this place. It looks like nobody is even interested, at the very least, if not hostile about the idea of you, Lord Jesus, and the Bible. Then it begins to rain. And then he ducks under this roof uh, of a machine shop. And then a guy comes out of the machine shop, maybe the owner, and says to him, hey, he calls him by a certain name, hey, it's so-and-so, what are you doing here? And he says to the machine shop guy, that's not my name, uh, I don't know you. No, 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 you look just like him, what's your name? And so he says his real name, and he says, okay, so you're not the guy, but anyway, what are you doing here? And he says, uh, I, I'm being trained to tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus? Oh, why don't you come in and you tell me about Jesus? So he comes in. Huh, Lord, wow, fantastic. So he goes in. The guy says, uh, you sit down and let me make some tea. Oh, diba? Let me make some tea and let me call some other people so you can tell us all about Jesus. And so he calls in like 12 to 15 people. And so our brother, after praying strenuously, he shares the gospel with these 12, 15 people. Half of them give their lives to Jesus on that day. Right? So the heavens are rejoicing. But wait, there's more. After that, the guy from the machine shop says to him, what village are you from? It's just like us. right? What village are you from? He says, uh, XYZ. Oh, that village is next to my village, the machine shop guy says. When are you going to come to my village and tell us about Jesus? Long story short, the guy goes to their village, tells them about Jesus, and a house church is formed in that village. Just one of many thousands and thousands of house churches all over that large country in South Asia. Shall we give God the glory?
God works through individual, seemingly small circumstances like that to accomplish His global agenda for mankind. What's the message today? We fight our battles with prayer. So what else can we learn from our friend? So we talked about praying steadfastly. We talked about praying what? Strenuously. And we can also learn that we should pray selflessly. Nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. Nothing wrong. Let me make that clear. But look at the example of Epaphras. Epaphras, always laboring earnestly for you. Paul is saying, I know, I've come to know this man so well that as I observe him, I know perhaps he's observed him in the early mornings, perhaps he observed him throughout the day. He says, I know he is laboring earnestly in prayer for you. The people of the Colossian church, the people of the churches that he was overseeing, perhaps believers in general, he says, this man labors earnestly in prayer for you. He was praying for the church, for people who liked him, for people who may not have liked him, for people who made his task easy, for people who made his life difficult. It didn't matter. It said he's laboring earnestly for you. Again, there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, but the Bible does tell us, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You'll notice that when we pray in CCF, like in the pre-service prayer time, or even during our evening watches at prayer and fasting, we will pray. First, we will adore God, right? We will worship Him. Then we'll have a time of confession. Then we'll have a time of thanksgiving. And then at the supplication part, we pray first for the nation, right? The government, the leaders, the economy, whatever. We pray for the church. We pray for ministries and, uh, you know, God's um, global work, etc. And at the very end, we pray for ourselves. Because we should look out for not only our own interests, but for the interests of others. In other words, we need to broaden our prayer horizon beyond our own needs. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray, Lord, I need a parking spot in this mall. I'm not saying that's wrong. Go ahead. The Bible says we should pray at all times. But we need to broaden our prayer horizon. Is that clear to everyone? Okay. So we learn from Epaphras. Pray steadfastly. Pray strenuously. Pray selflessly. The last thing we learn from his example is this. Pray strategically. Is that something new? Pray strategically? What in the world is that? Okay. Let's review for the last time. Epaphras, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Now remember, Paul knew him so well. He didn't just know that this guy was a prayerful guy. He knew the burden of his heart. Now I'm sure Epaphras prayed for many things. He probably prayed for... Uh, Clarence, who was sick, 
and Thomas who had an accident. I'm sure he prayed for all of these things. But his foundational prayer, if Paul were to summarize the prayer of Epaphras for God's people, it was this, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. To stand perfect, fully assured, mature in all the will of God, meaning to say in, in simpler language, I guess, always desiring, always discerning, always submitting to the will of God, always prioritizing what will give Him the greatest glory, the greatest honor. Over and above what we may want, we should want what God wants. Does that make sense? Let's, let's put it even in human terms. Um, when I was still in the corporate world, if I were to make a proposal to my boss, as I put it together, I cannot just think how I think. I have to think how my boss thinks. What is important to him? What is his direction for this company? And it's not that I'm selling him something. It's that I need to align my mind and my heart with the person in authority above me because God put him there. Now, our ultimate authority, the great and sovereign one, is God himself. And I think this is the best prayer you and I could ever pray for ourselves or for anybody else, that we may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, I know this discussion about knowing God's will can be a very long and very deep discussion. I understand that. In many ways, it's a mystery. But in many ways, it's also clear. So let's just, to make it, let's just try and make it as clear as possible. But what is the connection to prayer? Well, 1 John tells us, this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. Again, it reminds us, it's not about compelling God to bend His will towards ours. It is exactly the opposite. It is submitting ourselves to His sovereign will. Yes, we are free to express the cry of our heart. But just like Jesus who said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Sometimes we can discern God's will clearly. As a matter of fact, not sometimes, many times. When it comes to the basics of the Christian life, where do you and I find the clear will of God? We find it in His Word. Now, the, His Word may not tell us, uh, Lord, do you want me to migrate to Africa or not? And then we open the Bible and see. That's not the way to do it. That you need to search God's heart, seek His face, get godly advice, etc. But when it comes to the basics of the Christian life, love God, love others, forgive, submit to authority, submit to your husband, Love your wife. Love your children. Are those in the Bible or did CCF invent those things? They're in the Bible. Are they God's will? Yes or no? Yes. 
So the foundations of the Christian life, i.e., God's will, are clearly revealed in the Bible. The better we know God's Word, the more we can… Oh, we don't have the verse anymore, but the, the more we can stand fully assured in all the will of God. Are we clear about that? Now, in instances when, like I said, maybe it's a specific thing in your life, and there's no, like, black and white thing in the Bible that says what the answer is, then God is putting us through a, a, a process of humbling ourselves and checking our heart. Are we going to insist on what we want, or will we, like Jacob, insist that the presence of God is the most important thing in our lives? One of the best prayers that we could ever pray in times of question mark is, Lord, your will be done. Whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever will bring you the greatest glory, the greatest honor, Lord, that's what I want. You know the cry of my heart even before I say it, Lord. You know. But I want what you want because I know that what you want is better than what I want. Now, let's talk a little bit about the relationship of God's Word and prayer. Do you know that you can pray through the Word of God? You can turn the Word of God into prayer? Well, you know, that's one very practical way of aligning our will with God's. For example, we just finished a series on Colossians, so this passage is probably somewhat familiar to us. Now, how do you turn this into a prayer? Shall we try? Okay, let's try. Well, let's read it first. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Do you think this represents the will of God? Do you think this represents the will of God? Yes. So how do we pray through something like this? Example only. Lord, let's say you're praying for your small group the members in your small group, okay? So you're saying, Lord, I just want to thank you that uh, these men and women, including myself, that you chose us, Lord. We are chosen of you. You chose us to be holy, to love you, and to love one another. Lord, will you help us in accordance with your word? Will you help us to all have a heart of compassion that we may see the other person's situation before ours? that we may learn to be kind, to be humble. Lord, you know, many of us, including myself, we are proud people. Help us to be humble like you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be gentle in our speech, in our actions. Many times we, are, we, we rub people the wrong way. Teach us to be gentle. And patience, Lord, oh Lord, we, just, we are just so much in a hurry. Help, help us to bear with one another and help us to forgive each other, Lord, uh, if ever we have anything against the other person or the other person against us, teach us, O oh Lord Jesus, to forgive just as you have forgiven each one. Do you think that prayer pleases God? Praise God for His Word, which we can use as our basis for prayer. Do you want another example? Let's see. This is about family. So let's say you're now praying for your son and his family, his wife and his children. Okay, you have a married son and you're praying for them. You say, so it begins with wives. Lord, we want to pray for Anna, our daughter-in-law, that she will be subject 
to Edgar, her husband, our son. Because we know, Lord, that this is fitting in your sight. And Lord, we pray for our son, Edgar, that he will love his wife, Anna, and that even if both of them are highly imperfect people and sometimes they irritate one another, Lord, that Edgar will never be embittered against his wife, Anna. And we pray for our grandchildren, their two lovely children, that they will be obedient to their parents, not just in some things, but in all things. And we know, Lord, that this is pleasing in your sight. And finally, Lord, we want to pray for our son, Edgar. We know, Lord, that sometimes he's a perfectionist. He can be very strict. We pray, Lord, that he will learn not to exasperate his children so that they will not lose heart. Is that a good prayer? Absolutely. Isn't God's Word amazing? It's not just informational. It is not only, yes, you can clap. It is not only transformational. It is our best guide for prayer that we may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. Now remember, when things are fuzzy, what's the best prayer? Lord, your will. Whatever will honor you, whatever will glorify you. So, fight our battles with prayer. Steadfastly means keep on praying and don't give up. Strenuously means pray because you are desperately dependent on God, which we are, not only during problematic times. Every time, our every breath, every heartbeat depends on God. Selflessly, pray for others too. Strategically, pray according to God's will and for His glory. Now, I'll give you some more application points. I'd like you to take a picture of this because there are certain things you'll need to remember. Yeah, go ahead and take this as well. Uh, this is my good side. Okay. Next. What other applications do we have? Number one, pray and fast at least once every week. It's up to you. One meal, one day, whatever. Pray and fast at least. This is after prayer and fasting. Okay? Number two, we humble ourselves before you, the pastors of this church. Will you be our prayer partners? Pastors, prayer partners, that means throughout the week, you pray for us, our families. And prayer shield, that means during and in between the worship services, you are in a private room and you're just praying for the service that's happening. Uh, this is the number. Just uh, text or call this number, give them your name, tell them you want to volunteer for pastors, prayer partners, and or the prayer shield. Again, a reminder, pre-service prayer time, 30 minutes before any worship service. Come early, not because you will get the parking slot. That's also important, I know. But come early to pray, 30 minutes before every service. And finally, this is new. For those of you who can make it, beginning January the 19th, here uh, downstairs on the ground floor in what they call the choir room, join us for a, just a two-hour time of prayer, silent prayer, um, interactive prayer, from 12 to 2 p.m. starting January 19th. That's every Friday, Friday prayer gathering, CCF, downstairs in the choir room, uh, every Friday starting January 19th. Okay, so we, we hope to see you folks. I, I know many of you work in an office, but just in case, you can come. Join us for the Friday prayer gathering. So our message today, fight our battles in prayer. Can I just end with one last story? 
There's a movie that came out which I was not able to watch. I hope it will be out on Netflix sometime soon. The movie is Dunkirk. You ever heard of that? Dunkirk. What is the real spiritual story behind this amazing event in history? You see, in May 1940, Adolf Hitler was going to launch an offensive against France and Belgium. Now, in that place where he was going to launch his offensive, there were more than 300,000 British and Allied troops, and their back was to the sea. You know, just like the Israelites after they left Egypt, their back was to the sea. They had nowhere to go. And Hitler was either going to wipe them out, I, I guess that would have been his initial objective, and maybe for those who survived, take them all prisoner. More than 300,000 troops. And so when, you know, the, 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 the Allied leadership learned about this, they said, we have to evacuate these people. Evacuate 330-something thousand people. How in the world are you going to do that? So the king declared, this Sunday, we will have a national day of prayer. Everybody has to pray about this situation. So, you know, people streamed into the churches, the cathedrals. It was overflowing with people. The lines were so long just for people waiting for their turn to come into the church and pray for this very desperate situation. And pray they did. Now, this is the movie poster. This is an actual photograph of the evacuation, actually in uh, May 1940. What happened? Number one, people came forward and said, I have a boat. Okay, some boats are small, some medium-sized, some big. You can use my boat for the evacuation. Hundreds and hundreds of boats were made available because they knew the military itself could not provide the logistics to evacuate more than 300,000 troops. But here's the more, even more amazing thing. For reasons unknown to historians, even up to this day, Hitler stopped the advance for three days. Nobody around him understood. He just said, ah, let's stop. Stop. So the offensive was delayed. The other thing is, they prayed Sunday. On Tuesday, the weather was so bad that the German Air Force could not take off. So they could not attack these troops. So meanwhile, they were already amassing at the beach. And as bad as the weather was on Tuesday, on Wednesday, the sea was so calm. And so, long story short, they evacuated all of these 300-plus thousand troops because there was a national day of prayer. Folks, yes, let's give God the glory. Fight our battles in prayer. Perhaps you're here this morning, and this is all new to you. And perhaps it's because maybe you've known about Jesus but you have never really known Him in a personal way. You have never given your life to Him. Can I just encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you are, in this room, in the internet, whatever, can I just encourage you that the greatest battle that was ever fought and won was on the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty for all of our sin, and the prayer that he prayed in the midst of that battle was, Father, forgive them. 
And by the sacrifice of Jesus, you and I can be set free from the penalty, the shame, the guilt of sin. If you have never given your life to Jesus, I pray that you will make that decision right now. Don't delay. Why should you delay? What reason would you have? Why don't we bow our heads and pray? And if you are that person this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, remember the battle He fought in your behalf and won on the cross and when He resurrected from the dead was the battle for your eternity and mine. Will you give your life to Jesus today? Will you say to Him, Lord Jesus, I have just followed my own ways, my own thinking for just too long, and today I realize what you did for me on the cross. You've opened my eyes to who you are, Lord Jesus. And while I may not know you deeply, this I know, that you love me enough to die for me. And so right now, I open my heart. I receive you. And like Jacob, Lord, I just pray your blessing, your presence within me forever. I accept your forgiveness, Lord, gladly and thankfully. And I pray that you will so transform me to make me the person that will be pleasing in your sight. Thank you for loving me, Lord Jesus, and for assuring me that from this day forward, I am yours and you are mine, and that is forever. Amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful new year. Connect with CCF through the following websites. Jumpstart your spiritual journey by joining a small group. We are so blessed you were able to join us today. God bless and see you next time.